Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Interim Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. And today we're speaking with Isaac Mameski, who's a partner at the Potomac Law Group, but he's also an adjunct professor here at Albany Law School. And he's going to be a major part of the online graduate programs webinar that's coming up on January 27th, the Post-Pandemic Workplace and HR and Employment Law Perspective. And that's part of the HR and Practice webinar series and there's CLE credit available. More details if you click on the link in the show notes. But before we get to Isaac, as always, if you would go to albanylaw.edu slash coronavirus to make sure you are up to date on everything for the spring semester that we have coming up in a couple weeks. And then you can also follow us on social media. Or if you want to hear previous episodes of the podcast, check out any of the major podcast services or our SoundCloud account. Enough from me. Let's talk with Isaac. Back here on the podcast with Isaac Mameski. And Isaac, if you'd just take a minute or two and introduce yourself to everybody listening to the podcast today. Sure. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's it's a real pleasure to be here. So I am a partner in Potomac Law Group, and I'm also an adjunct professor at the law school, a fairly new adjunct professor at the law school. So I'm very much looking forward to meeting a bunch of students and faculty. And yeah, th- thanks. Thanks so much. And and thanks for joining the team here at Albany Law. Welcome to the community. And we speak with tons of different attorneys with different specialties on the show here. But could you just talk about what you specialize in at Potomac Law Group a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I have a general corporate practice with a sort of specific focus on employment and, and human resources work. I really find this practice area super fascinating and it's never the same day twice. So, you know, on any typical day, like I might lead negotiations or draft a commercial contract to form a relationship between, you know, d- businesses. I write employment agreements. I conduct internal investigations. I advise clients on corporate ethics. So, you know, really it's, it's constantly changing, always something new, always something different and generally connected to employment and human resources and sort of corporate law more generally. And in the intro, we were talking a little bit about an upcoming webinar that we have on January 27th. And if you want more information on that, just check the show notes of this episode. But Isaac, you're kind of the the main guy at this webinar. Can you just give us an overview of what it is and what you're going to be covering? Yeah, you know, in some ways it will cover this, right? And what do I mean by this? Like, so, okay, you're in Albany, I'm outside Manhattan, And we're talking as if we're in the same room, right? And for some industries, like this is literally the future of work. Like this is it being in different locations and, and, and working together on projects. In this webinar, we're going to talk about how the pandemic has really changed the workplace uh, as, as we know it. And we're going to explore the role of remote work uh, and, and virtual work and the virtual office going forward. And, and, you know, we'll talk about like some of the research for and against remote work and and where I personally think we're headed coming out of the pandemic uh, and what it all means uh, from a human resources and employment law standpoint. And speaking of some of that research, you just recently had a paper published in the UC Davis Business Law Journal. Can you give us an overview of some of that work? We'll talk more about some of these webinar things in a little bit, but getting a paper published, what were you talking about in that one? First of all, it's very exciting because I literally signed the publishing contract today. When Albany Law School asked me to present on this topic, you know, I started putting together my presentation notes and, and I do a bit of writing as it is. 
And I just thought it was such an interesting topic, like the future of work, the post-pandemic workplace. Like these are subjects that every employee is talking about, you know, whether it's like over beers on a Friday evening or with their coworkers during the day, like what will work look like a few months from now, right? When the law school asked me to to present this, I actually wrote up a paper called The Future of Work. I'm really honored that the UC Davis uh, Business Law Journal uh, wants to publish it. So they're, they're going to uh, put the paper in their next print edition. And, you know, everyone who comes to the webinar, they will get a copy of it, the pre-publication draft copy. Uh, so everyone will have that in their hands uh, by the end of the webinar. So free gear if you show up to the webinar here. And like I said, just click on those show notes and we'll have different ways that you can sign up for the webinar. Let's get into this, though. Working remotely has certainly become a focus in COVID-19 pandemic world. But is the future of work primarily virtual? I'll give you a very lawyerly answer to that question. And, And my lawyerly answer is yes and no. We have to keep in mind that, you know, remote work is sort of not possible and not desirable in many industries. So when we think of like restaurants and schools and hotels and production lines and transportation providers and museums and theaters and gyms and doctor's offices and like all these different businesses, the list could go on and on. Remote work isn't even possible for them. Like the spirit of their, of what they do is lost if it goes remote. So remote opportunities, they're really concentrated in very specific industries. And some examples are technology and finance and insurance and law. And and again, there are others, but it's sort of specific industries where this is a possibility. So as we talk about, you know, remote work and, and the virtual office, the conversation really applies to that subset of industries that has the option for some or all of their employees to work from home. In those industries, the key thing to keep in mind, and, and, and you know, this is a theme uh, in the webinar, and it's a theme in, in this paper I have coming out, that people are different. Some people love nothing more than wearing their sweatpants every day and working from home. And, and you know, to confess, I am absolutely <laughs> one of those people, right? Like, I love working from home. Others think it's just like the worst thing ever, right? Some people are super productive from home, while others just can't seem to focus unless they're in the office. Look, there's a lot of really interesting research on this. And and on the webinar, we're going to talk about some of the research. But on the most practical level, this is something we've all seen, right? Like we have some friends just in casual conversations, you know, typically on Zoom these days or at a significant distance outdoors. Uh, We have some friends who say they love working from home and others who hate it. A group of my law school friends, we have a sort of ongoing joke. We have team home office and, and team real office, right? And like, <laughs> people have different views. Taking all this together, I personally think that where we're headed, the future of work is going to be what's called the hybrid uh, workplace. Yeah, and actually, that's the next thing I definitely wanted to ask you about is the hybrid workplace. What is that? And why is it so likely to be the workplace even after this pandemic has been put under control? There has been a lot of research that's come out since the start of the pandemic on on where human resources professionals and where management teams see work going, right? Like they've been asked, what does the future hold in store? And when you look at the future of work on a broad national scale, research is showing sort of the following things, that many employers will go primarily virtual. 
Others will remain primarily in person, and yet others will fall somewhere in between, allowing more employees to work from home more of the time. That sort of collective new reality, where more employees work from home more of the time across businesses, across industries, that is the hybrid workplace. And that's what I think the future holds in store. What are some of the benefits of the digital or remote work? We were just talking about that kind of primary and this hybrid model, but what are some of the benefits of digital and remote work? There's a lot of research on this question. The thing to keep in mind is that people have different preferences, right? And and this is a point that I suspect we will come back to again and again, and we will certainly discuss during the webinar. People are different. The research shows many benefits of working remotely, but but these benefits certainly will not apply to everyone who works remotely, right? They won't apply to every employee, they won't uh, apply to every manager, and they certainly won't apply to every industry. So sort of with that little footnote, I'll give you a few examples of the research. Research shows that some remote employees are much more productive when they work from home. And specifically, there are really interesting studies where what they show is that when people try working remotely and then have the option to go back to work, but choose to continue working remotely, those are the most productive of all employees. If you think about it, COVID has been a forced experiment in remote work for nearly the entire workforce. So now that we've all tried it, the research actually suggests that the people who have the option to continue working from home and then choose to continue working from home, those should be the most productive uh, of all employees. Again, not on an individual basis, but on sort of a a collective basis when, when you look at the workforce as a whole. Switching gears, you know, Another benefit is that having a bunch of people work remotely is a major cost savings for companies because they don't have to pay uh, such massive amounts for offices. Again, this means different things in different industries. Like some companies might just eliminate their physical offices, right? Other companies might reduce their physical offices. Uh, But in any event, it's, it's a significant cost savings. Another major benefit is that having a remote workforce really enables employers to access a national and global talent If you're in Manhattan, perhaps it's less relevant just because there are so many people here, right? But if if an employer is, is somewhere a bit more remote with a smaller population, it's a massive benefit to be able to hire someone who's an expert in whatever field you need, regardless of where they live, right? So people can bring in, you know, spectacular talent. And they don't just have to look to those employees who live down the road and or are willing to move. Interestingly, there's also all this research in psychology that shows that commuting often makes people just absolutely miserable. Like people say it's the worst part of their day. And, and, and again, you know, look, the footnote to all of this is people are different, right? Not every person. Some people love their commute. They use it to catch up on emails on the train or they, you know, call their family while driving. And yet other people certainly hate it. And by eliminating commutes, people can spend much more time with family and with friends while still working the same number of hours as before. So, so to many employees, uh, th- that's a huge benefit. And, you know, overall, like there's much more to say on this topic, and, and I'll save it for the webinar, but there, there are many other benefits to, to, to working remotely for some employees in some industries, certainly not for everyone. What are some of the industries that have already seen some of these benefits during the pandemic? For my favorite example, actually, for my favorite example, we're going to look before the pandemic, right? Because during the pandemic, I mean, everybody 
almost everybody, certainly not everybody, almost everybody has experienced in one form or another uh, working from home. But let's look at this before the pandemic. And when we did not have a forced experiment, but when work from home was optional. So when work from home was optional for everyone, many different industries, many employers were experimenting with work from home. For my favorite example, we really don't need to look very far from the legal field. We, we don't need to look beyond the legal field, I should say. For years now, the quote-unquote new model law firms, they've been massively growing. They've been recruiting partners and even entire practice groups from traditional large firms, right? So when you think of law firms like Fisher Broyles and Colhane Meadows and Ramon and uh, P.S. my own law firm, Potomac Law Group, they figured something out. When you eliminate skyscrapers in Manhattan and Boston and Chicago and DC, right, and other key legal hubs, and you just have a few flex offices available in those cities instead, then you massively reduce your overhead. So that means that the crushing billable hour requirements of traditional large firms, they just go away. It also means that clients end up paying lower rates for the very same attorneys that they once had at large firms. So it's a total game changer for the legal practice. And like, you know, just speaking from personal experience, like I started my career at a big firm in Manhattan before going to my current firm, which is a new model law firm where everybody is allowed to work from home. And from my standpoint, you can't even compare the quality of life between the two firms. Like at my firm, we don't have minimum billable hour requirements. I just work, you know, I bill what I want to bill. It's amazing. But again, it's certainly not for everyone, right? Some attorneys love it and many others prefer going into a traditional office every day. But what we see in the new model firms is it's very much a self-selecting crowd, right? Because nobody's forced to go to one of these firms. So the attorneys who are there are the ones who chose to go there and they're super happy. And I'll just tell you one more little thing anecdotally. My colleagues at Potomac Law Group I feel so much closer to them than I ever felt with my colleagues at my prior large firm, even though we don't go into an office together every day because we have weekly Zoom calls and pre-COVID and post-COVID, we have firm happy hours and in-person events. So there are certainly opportunities to see each other and yet we all work from home. It's, it's awesome. I, you know. <laughs> well, Albany Law School has certainly been uh, work from home too. And yeah, we meet every morning as a communications team here as well. There's industries and, and places that have definitely changed how they do things, but have also improved how they do things due to the pandemic. And we've been talking about a lot of the benefits of these types of uh, different work models and working from home and digital and remote. But what are some of the challenges of a primarily digital and remote work experience? So such a good question. And again, this really comes back to this idea that's, that's a theme in all of this, that people are different. So for every person who embraces remote work, countless others find themselves experiencing, you know, various downsides, right? Like the, the team office people don't like remote work. And, and, you know, in studies of remote employees, workers have reported, you know, lots of different drawbacks. Like people sometimes feel like they're constantly working, right? They lose a, a separation, between their work and personal life because it, it, takes, it takes place in the same place, right? They report feeling lonely and socially isolated and, and being unfocused and battling distractions from roommates and family. Um, and, and of course, many people don't have the space or the resources to set up a productive home office. I mean, I, I think we've all had 
conference calls with people where where someone is talking to you like literally from their bedroom with the bed in the background right and you hear noises of like children out in the other room right like that's <laughs> not the recipe for for a, a a productive homework environment it certainly has downsides and we will discuss more of them uh, on the webinar and, and work from home is, is certainly not for everyone we've been talking about these different places where people work obviously from home a lot more but in your opinion what's going to be the new role of the physical workspace when somebody does go to the office Look, I think in some industries, it will be exactly the same as it is now. People will go to work every day like they always have, and and not much will change. In other industries, uh, employers may start to look at office space sort of as a supplement to virtual work rather than the primary place where people work. So what this means is some employers may significantly reduce the amount of offices they have. They may offer flex offices. Uh, that people can use, uh, you know, when needed for client meetings or team building events or whatever. But but the office will be sort of a supplement to remote work rather than the primary work location. Whereas, you know, other companies, they might keep their existing space, but allow all their employees to work from home, you know, maybe half the week or or, or a couple of days per week or, or, you know, in various flexible ways. So that way they will still be a very significant physical presence and people will be able to work from home simultaneously. So, so, so to make a long story short, physical workspaces are not going away anytime soon, but you know, many of them might be quite different following the pandemic uh, than, than they are now. And some of them, as I said, will be exactly as they are now, uh, maybe with, with some more safety measures following the pandemic. HR is, of course, the focus of the webinar that we have coming up here. So what are some of the HR implications of everything we've been talking about so far? I'll tell you sort of broadly about the HR implications and, and the employment law implications. And, and that's really going to be the focus uh, of the webinar, by the way. So, you know, look, the key HR implications come down to this idea that, that I've repeated multiple times that people are different. So basically, what, what's going to happen coming out of the pandemic as a purely practical matter? What's going to happen? Some employers will allow their employees to choose where they work. Others are going to hand the decision down to employees and they will not let them choose. Whenever management makes a decision uh, in which employees don't have a say, then some employees won't like the outcomes, right? It's, I mean, this is just pure human. I mean, the research bears this out, but it's also just an observation of human nature. Like when people are told what to do, some people are fine with it, whereas others uh, are unhappy with the outcomes. Now, here's the thing. Unhappy employees uh, create challenges both from a human resources and employment law standpoint. And this is why, like, I'm personally, I'm a huge advocate of employee choice. To the extent possible, I think employers should let people choose where they want to work. And, and as a result, they will have a much happier workplace. People who want to work from home can do that. People who want to work from the office can do that too. And people who want some mix of both, they can also do that. Now, of course, for countless reasons, many employers are going to own the choice of where employees work. And by the way, this is not a bad thing. I mean, I think in some cases, employers have to own that choice for so many different reasons. And we'll get into some of them on the webinar. So when employers own the choice for whatever reasons they decide to own that choice, it's going to raise some interesting legal and human resources issues. Now, again, we're going to discuss these in details on the webinar, but I'll give you a couple examples. 
Some employers, in the words of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, they might have benevolent intention and they might want to, quote unquote, help certain vulnerable employees by requiring them to stay home while allowing healthy employees into the office, right? That would violate all sorts of anti-discrimination laws. But then you have the flip side of this. Some vulnerable employees will ask to work from home as a reasonable accommodation for various health conditions, right? But their employers may not agree. Their employers may say, no, no, you have to come into the office. In the literature right now, you have some really smart professors and some really talented practitioners out there who are saying that now that we have collectively seen how effective and productive employees can be from home, employers will have a much harder time arguing that employees can't do their jobs remotely. And historically, that's been like the strongest argument not to allow remote work as a reasonable accommodation that, you know, again, I'm oversimplifying, but in broad brushstrokes, this job can't be done from home. This employee can't be supervised from home. What many people are arguing is that coming out of the pandemic, that argument will not hold the water that it once did. Employers do not allow remote work as a reasonable accommodation. They might have all sorts of legal challenges uh, as a result of that. Look, there are sort of more of these issues that relate to, to federal and state anti-discrimination laws. And again, we're going to talk about them on the webinar. There's also this other really interesting dynamic that I'll just mention briefly. When employees work from home for a prolonged period of time, what happens is that they become subject to the employment laws of the states where they live. So like, think about a business that's based in New York, right? You have a business based in New York. Let's imagine they have some employees who live in Connecticut. They have some employees who live in New Jersey, right? When those employees only work from the office, that company was subject to New York employment law because everyone worked in New York. But now when you have some employees in Connecticut and some employees in New Jersey and some employees in New York, this company is now subject to the employment laws of three different states. It used to be one. But now let's imagine that the same business has an office in D.C., and in that D.C. office, they have some employees who live in Virginia and some employees who live in Maryland. So now you've got an employer that used to be subject to two states employment laws that's now subject to six states employment laws, right? Employment laws are different, like minimum wage and the amount of sick leave people have and like expense reimbursements for technology and all different areas of employment law. They vary by state. So this creates all sorts of new legal obligations uh, for employers, which certainly raises some interesting issues. And, and again, you know, we'll, we'll get into this in a bit more detail on the webinar. Now, you're also an adjunct professor here at Albany Law, and you're teaching in our new Human Resources Law Leadership and Policy Program. Can you just talk to me a little bit more about what you teach within that program? First of all, it's very exciting to be teaching in the program. My first class uh, is actually going to be ethics and compliance in the workplace. Uh, I believe that kicks off in late March. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a really fun area for lots of reasons. <laughs> I mean, I guess it, it depends how you define fun, but I think, I think it's a really fun area. Ethics and compliance has actually been called a new profession uh, in recent years. And, you know, teaching in the area, it's such an exciting opportunity to help give students an overview of a field in which many of them might end up taking their legal careers or their human resources careers years from now, just to give you a sense of why the area is so different than a traditional law practice. Like, here's a little tidbit. I think law students and, 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 law, and lawyers and law professors might find this interesting. 
first of all, most people who work in a large company's ethics and compliance uh, department, they're lawyers. But ethics and compliance is separate from the legal department. So you have your general counsel's office, and then you have your ethics and compliance office. It's not the same place, two separate departments. Now, the legal department, and by the way, not always, I'm sorry to back up, not always, sometimes it's not, but, but often enough it is, and that's certainly the trend. Now, the legal department advocates on behalf of the company, but ethics and compliance, they do something really different. They are there to supervise everyone and make sure that everyone is following the law and the company's ethical standards. So now, let's say you have a lawyer in ethics and compliance who's conducting an internal investigation of a potential legal violation, right? So an employee picks up the phone, they call the company's, you know, ethics hotline, and they say, hey, you know, I observed uh, this manager, this other employee uh, doing something that I think is illegal or violates our code of ethics or whatever it is, right? So now it goes to ethics and compliance, and you have a lawyer in ethics and compliance investigating. Now, you'd think that the investigation would be privileged because you have a lawyer who works at the company investigating a potential violation of law, but it's not. That investigation only becomes privileged if the lawyer in ethics and compliance contacts another lawyer in the general counsel's office to ask for, quote unquote, legal advice. So, you know, I think there are a lot of these little nuances in ethics and compliance practice that make it a super interesting new area uh, with so much potential exploration in in a classroom setting. So I'm very excited to be teaching that class. I I think it's going to be great. And then my next class after that, and and this one starts in or in uh, mid-August, is is about workforce recruitment, retention, and development uh, sort of through an employment law lens. So that's going to be a really exciting one. I'll spare you the anecdotes on that one for now. <laughs> We're here for the anecdotes. We like anecdotes here on the podcast. <laughs> You're also serving on the Industry Advisory Council for our online graduate programs, which human resources we were just talking about falls underneath. And thank you for that service. But could you just give us a brief overview of what you think the benefit of online graduate programs here at Albany Law are? Absolutely. So, you know, first of all, I should say that I think many of the same trends that are driving more remote work options, you know, out in, in, in the collective workplace, those are the same trends that are creating uh, Albany Law School's online graduate programs, right? Like it, it, it's sort of really, these are two really interesting parallel development. What I love about these programs is think about how cool it is for a working professional who may have wanted an advanced degree for years, but life and work and family obligations, they can't take traditional classes. They have too much going on. I think what's great about the online programs is that they're scheduled in a way that busy working professionals can fit them into their lives, right? And take the classes on their own schedule. And by the way, I also think that's so exciting for the professors in these programs, right? Because I expect I'll be teaching classes that I'm super excited about, and I'll be teaching these classes to professionals who work in the field, and I'm going to learn from them too. And it's it's, it's going to be like a two-way street, which, which is super, super exciting uh, from an academic standpoint. The other thing is, the school is launching these programs in really up-and-coming practice areas. There's cybersecurity and data privacy and financial compliance and risk management. And, you know, we talked a bit about compliance already and, and health law compliance. And of course, the human resources program, like these are high demand fields. 
and hot topics in the law, and they're going to be the source of, you know, major, major jobs uh, now and in years to come. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that really Albany Law School is bringing together a few different current paths and trends in launching these programs. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm just excited to be part of them. One thing everybody's always excited to be part of, though, is the Albany Law School podcast lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? Oh, so ready for the lightning <laughs> Here Absolutely. we go. All right. Now, you published a book in 2019. Congratulations. And the title of it was Letter to a 1L Friend. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that book was really, uh, it began as a labor of love. You, you know, when, when I was a third year law student, a really good friend of mine from college told me that he was planning to attend law school. And I personally found the first semester of one all year just incredibly challenging. Like before law school, I hadn't done anything to prepare for law school. It was a completely different kind of thinking than, than I did uh, as an undergrad. When I got there as a first semester one L, it really felt like trial by fire. So when I was a third year law student, I had a job offer. I was sort of kicking back and relaxing a little more. And I kind of understood, you know, what to do to, to, to do well in law school, my friend told me he was starting. And I wanted his experience to be easier. And I had some time on my hands. So I wrote him a letter. And, and, and you know, the idea was basically like, look, here's what you do as a one right? Like, here's what to expect. Here's how you read cases. Here's how you prepare for exams, th that type of thing. And when I first wrote that letter, I, I literally wrote it to help my friend. I never in a million years intended to publish it. But what happened is then I talked to someone else who was going to law school and I went back to my letter and I made it a little longer and, and I sent it to them. And then somebody else, you know, a friend of a friend or whatever is like, hey, can you give me some advice? I'm starting law school in the fall. So I wouldn't modify my letter again. And like what happened was over the years, the letter got longer and longer and, and, and I kept editing it and playing with it. And eventually I said, you know what? I'm just going to turn this into a book. I have no idea if anyone will publish it. I'm going to write it. But then, you know, to fast forward, like I sent it out to a few publishers. I was so honored that Carolina Academic Press agreed to take it into their catalog. And now like this book is in law school libraries and like on Amazon. <laughs> so it's been really cool. Beyond law, I found out that you also run a nonprofit called CZ Wellness Group. You got to tell me what is CZ Wellness Group? Ah, you've certainly, <laughs> you've certainly <laughs> done your home. You know, look, in and out of law, I think it's really important to pursue our passions, right? So me personally, like outside of my legal practice, I'm super into healthy living. I'm into fitness and healthy cooking and kind of, you know, those people in Whole Foods who are like shopping for organic produce in their gym clothes at, <laughs> like after working out. Yeah. <laughs> right, like I am those people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so years ago, my wife and I, we had this crazy idea uh, to launch a kids summer camp. We both went to camp as kids. We loved it. To launch a kids overnight summer camp and a retreat center for adults that's all about celebrating healthy, active living through fitness, cooking, sports, and arts. So then Camp Zeke was born. So CZ Wellness Group group runs Camp Zeke. It also runs the Block and Hexter Retreat Center, which, which does the same thing as the camp just for adults. And the organization has just like grown and grown uh, over the years. And, and, you know, that's where my wife and I spend our summers. That's been another labor of love, <laughs> much like the book, but very different. You've survived the lightning round. And now we have the question we always end our podcast with. Is there anything that you'd just like to say to the Albany Law School community as a whole? I want to say 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first of all, it's so cool to be on the law school's podcast. Like that's <laughs> the starting. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I became involved with the law school. I don't know, maybe seven months ago. Uh, I, I joined the committee and, and, and I've just received the warmest of welcomes. And, and the people here are really, really nice and so kind and sort of so encouraging and welcoming. And I'm looking forward to just meeting even more students and faculty in the coming months. So if you're listening, you know, please find me on LinkedIn, shoot me an email. I'd love nothing more uh, than to connect with even more members of the law school community. Definitely join us on the January 27th webinar. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> again, depending on how you define fun, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and we're going to cover some very interesting legal ground uh, in the process.